So our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. So I made up my mind not to make you another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I am confident about all of you, that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote you out of much distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. But if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but to some extent, not to exaggerate it, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is enough for such a person. So now instead you should forgive and console him so that he may not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I urge you to reaffirm your love for him I wrote for this reason, to test you and to know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone who you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for the sake, for your sake, in the presence of Christ. Here's the reading. So first of all, I'd say I'm deeply honored to have been invited um, to this event. Um, you know, the, the notion that I would even be considered uh, to speak on the anniversary of this beautiful church, uh, it's mind blowing to me. I don't think I deserve such honor, but I do appreciate the opportunity um, to speak. So thank you so much for welcoming me back with, with full and open arms. You guys have always been a blessing to me and it, it's, it's just great to be here. Um, I. Uh, I would like to start today uh, with a confession, and, and forgive me for using such harsh language, but um, I find it hard to love jerks. Um, since about mid-March, I have discovered many, many jerks in my life. Uh, I have had some people that I barely know um, tell me that I'm a heretic. Uh, for suggesting uh, not all Muslims are terrorists. I've had another uh, claim I was being morally irresponsible for suggesting we shouldn't shoot fringe looters and rioters who caused destruction during the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, I had someone else claim that I have been brainwashed by communists uh, for supporting the notion of universal healthcare. Uh, I've had family members tell me I am an instrument of Satan, uh, exact words, for saying that LGBT members of our congregation are not sinners. Um, I, uh, a personal favorite of mine was when someone recently told me that I wasn't being American uh, because my church has elected to not physically meet for worship um, until January, even though another church relatively nearby, had 40% of their congregation contract COVID-19 after a service, um, resulting in three deaths, including uh, the death of a minister, 
right? It's just, things are just crazy right now, and I feel like I'm losing my mind over here, right? But I feel comfortable telling you about my frustrations because I know you. You know, we're cut from the same cloth. I imagine you have had similar conversations at some point in your lives. You understand just how enraging and heartbreaking these encounters can become. Why can't these jerks just see? Why can't they just understand? This isn't rocket science. It's common human decency. It's a simple matter of empathy. It's the logical conclusion of the very values that people claim to hold dear, right? But I just wanna be done with them. I, I catch myself literally throwing my hands up in the air and saying, so be it. Just go on living such a miserable life. Just don't drag me down with you. It would appear that we find a similar tone somewhat in today's reading, because Paul is writing yet another letter to the church of Corinth. So this congregation has faced a plethora of challenges, which has led to a lot of conflict over the years. Paul, in fact, had originally planned to visit the church, but altered his traveling plans, partially due to the need to give the church some room to reflect and to cool down and to forgive, right? So while scholars could debate about what the center of the conflict is, no one denies it must have been a pre-heated debate. Anguish of the heart, many tears. This is not a good time. Hence the reason Paul's opening lines of the book emphasizes he's on the Corinthian side. In chapter one, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, you also share in our comfort. You see, this whole community thing, it's a team game. It is not an individual competition. Paul is emphasizing here in the end, he wants the Corinthians to win, the ones who have hurt him and caused anguish and tears, the ones who have been jerks. He wants them to be comforted. When they are at their best, Paul will finally be at his best. This notion is not foreign to us. Some situations call for the need to be stern with people, right? Because we want them to win. Um, anyone who has had a young person in their life has felt this, right? When a parent rebukes their child, they don't enjoy punishing the kid. They can feel frustration, sure, 
But at the end of the day, they want to nurture this child, not smite them. The same applies for teachers and students, um, any of our nieces and nephews, uh, mentors, trainees, the littles that run through the hallways in our churches and play in our neighborhoods. We understand and all can relate to the fact that love sometimes demands correction for the temporary unpleasantness ensures long-term happiness, growth, development, and maturity. But it would appear here that the congregation of Corinth has lost their way in this regard. Chapter 2 is elaborating on the existence of a man who has caused grief to the church. The majority have, in some way, punished this member, but now Paul is telling them to switch gears. It would appear, via context clues, that the man has repented, so the congregation's role now is to forgive and comfort the person who has hurt them. Because in the end, it's a rather straightforward bit of pragmatism. If we only return pain with pain, no healing can occur. There will only be further damage. This offender cannot be left to drown in his sorrow. That type of isolation and condemnation, it only leads to more misery for everybody. So this leads me to a fundamental question, which um, is, I believe, crucial as we seek to be agents of sanity and social justice in this rather chaotic time. Is justice the redistribution of pain, or is justice the rebalancing of relationships? You know, when I turn on like any type of screen right now, um, it would appear that most of society believes it is the former, that justice is the redistribution of pain. Social media is bursting with these cliches and these memes and these gotcha videos where like one party destroys the other party with some witty comeback or grand gesture. Um, now I know you Brits are, are much more refined and, and not a single ounce of toxin could be detected in your social conversations or political debates. And I'm sure all the pubs at the moment are filled with very civil discourse. But, uh, but here in the U.S., we're, uh, we're having a terrible time of it. Uh, it appears we're all divided and we're incredibly frustrated. It's like we just want to, ah, what's the word? I don't know, exit. It's like we want to exit the whole situation uh, rather than deal with complexities of being neighbors and colleagues and community with those who look and sound different than us. Now, I know you can't uh, relate to such matters there in London, but just try to imagine that there are people right now that just want to punish others, sometimes even large groups of people, just because one party has concluded that the other party is beyond redemption. There's no situation, there's no way it could, things could ever get better. Reconciliation, relationship, it just can't be done. It is better to just get rid of the people rather than waste any more of our precious time and energy. Maybe um, if you can't think of some social or 
geopolitical uh, example, uh, just try closing your eyes and asking yourself, who is the person I don't want to forgive? That I don't want to see do well? Maybe then a concrete example of my concern will come to your mind. If justice is the redistribution of pain, if justice means that being right is hurting those that are wrong, I'm not sure anything's ever going to improve um, in our personal life or in our communal life. But if justice is the rebalancing of relationship, then our goal is not to hurt our offenders or the oppressor, uh, but rather to save those who have lost their ways, the ones who have forgotten who they are. What would the world look like if we assumed everyone else was made to live life more abundantly, that the reason they fall and they fail is the same as the young people that we mentor on a regular basis? Because if we are children of God, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when humans fail to act like full adults of God just yet. Because, you know, life is messy and it's confusing and only Jesus knows all of the factors which have hindered or misled our enemies, who are actually our, our neighbors, who are actually our fellow children of God. Right? Whenever, whenever I've mentioned this notion before, uh, this idea that the goal of confrontation centers upon redeeming rather than destroying our enemies. Uh, people often tell me I am just a foolish idealist. They tell me there are just some people who have gone too far. Um, they even acknowledge that Jesus commands us to love our enemies, but they presume that just means not actively harm them rather than actively trying to take care of them. Um, but anytime I face such critiques, I can't help but think of a man named Daryl Davis. Um, Daryl Davis is an African-American musician um, who primarily specialized in jazz and uh, cultivated his craft while playing alongside numerous legendary musicians like Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. Oddly enough, though, um, that's not what he's really famous for right now. Uh, Dave's, Davis's most notable accomplishments rest not in his music, but rather in his amazing ability to convert racists. Um, for decades, this man has gone out of his way to befriend radical white nationalists, most specifically members of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, if you are unfamiliar with American history, uh, the, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, or the KKK, is a white supremacist group famous for their hatred of black people and their iconic white hood and robes and the burning of crosses. Um, over the, the past century, the KKK has hung countless men, women, and children um, in order to further their long-term goal of purifying America via the elimination and removal of all inferior races, AKA non-white people. They believe 
Uh, God has made the white person biologically superior to all other races. They believe other races naturally possess a lower IQ and higher tendencies towards violence simply due to their genetic inferiority. They are bummers at parties. Um, many years ago, uh, Daryl Davis accidentally befriended a KKK member who was impressed with his musical talent after hearing Davis's gig in a local bar. The Klansman couldn't believe that a black man like Davis could play jazz better than a white man and was even more baffled to learn that black people invented the very music that the KKK man had learned to love. And this conversation led to an invitation to meet a local KKK leader, which led to more and more meetings with other KKK members. Um, eventually, Davis found himself attending Klan meetings where white people were burning crosses and celebrating their superiority over black people. Um, during one interview, um, Davis was asked why he bothered entertaining such vile, ignorant notions. Um, and Davis explained that at an early age, he realized that when people treated him unfairly due to the color of his skin, it derived from ignorance and fear of the unknown. How can they hate me if they don't even know me? Is the question Davis consistently asks everywhere he goes. After meeting with the Klan member in the bar, um, Davis started reading book after book after book in order to learn about white supremacy and the ultimate ideals of the KKK. He even says that he, he did it to be equipped not with a gun, but with knowledge for the battle he was about to endure. For he wanted to understand why his enemy saw the world in such a terrible way so he could help alleviate them from their cursed heritage. And inevitably, CNN caught whiff of this, and there's a, a CNN report many years ago uh, that, that caught up with Davis as he attended a larger Klan rally led by his good friend, Roger Kelly, the Imperial Dragon of the KKK. Uh, for those that don't know, an Imperial Dragon is like the national leader, right? It's the highest rank in the land. And there is video, you can watch it, of Roger Kelly describing his black friend, Daryl Davis. Um, he says, quote, I would follow that fellow right there to hell and back because I believe in what he stands for and he believes in what I stand for. And at times we don't agree on everything, <laughs> but at least he respects me to sit down and listen to me. And I respect him enough to sit down and listen to him. And so Davis therefore explains that respect is the key and that one must give space for his opponent to air out his beliefs in order to open the door for redemption. And it apparently worked. And I wanna, I wanna show you something real quick. This, is a picture of Daryl Davis at a Klan rally early in his time with the KKK.
this is Daryl Davis yet again holding the robes of the very same Roger Kelly, Imperial Dragon of the KKK. He got this robe because Roger Kelly, after a lot of long, emotionally exhausting years of conversation, Roger Kelly, Imperial Dragon, repented quit the KKK and gave his robe to Davis as a sign of saying he was sorry and that he didn't want to live that life anymore. But it wasn't just Kelly. Daryl Davis has collected robes, dozens and dozens of robes from every possible rank available in the KKK. Daryl Davis his technique of loving his enemy and befriending the people that hate him the most has led to him converting 200 KKK members over the course of 30 years. An interviewer once asked if it was acceptable to befriend such people. And uh, after all, wasn't he showing them support in some way, being used to validate their cause? To which Davis responded, how many robes have you collected? Dare Davis is a man of faith, and the love of Christ found within him didn't care about appearances. It didn't care about risk. The love of Christ only cares about redeeming those who have lost their way. If justice is the rebalancing of relationship, the reconciliation of all parties involved, then justice demands radical love. The justice of God demands the type of love that takes risks and finds beauty in the ugliest of places. Davis was told on multiple occasions that he would be killed for pursuing a friendship with the clan, but he measured it all worth the risk of saving the lives of his enemies. Is this not the love of our crucified Christ? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is this not the love that we, beloved of Bloomsbury, are commanded to share? Can the love of God comfort us so that we are able to comfort those who have hurt us. Do we believe in a love like that, even for all those jerks we loathe? So I don't, I don't know about you, but I struggle to love jerks. Um, but I also know that the only reason I'm not a jerk is because someone first loved me enough to redeem me as well. So may God give us the faith to believe in a radical love. May the Redeemer reveal how to incarnate the compassion necessary to change the world. And may the Spirit reveal the sin within us that prevents us from acting as agents of reconciliation. Amen. Travis, thank you.
We're going to have a moment of uh, silence for us to reflect and then the panel will join us and uh, we will take opportunity there to reflect together. Uh, if you're uh, one of the attendees and you want to join in that, please do make your comments in the chat. But first, let's have a moment of silence. Could I ask the uh, panelists if you wouldn't mind turning your um, turning your microphones and cameras on? I was uh, I was struck as Travis was talking. Um, the the uh, the resonance that went through my mind was that bit towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where he has one of his early conflicts with the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, and they're criticizing him for eating at the table of sinners. And Jesus replies, um, "You know, I haven't come for the well; they don't need a doctor. I've come for those who are sick." So strong resonances, I think, with the with the gospel message coming through there. Um, Travis, you've offered us many things to reflect on, and I made many notes, but I'm, I'm just going to see what the initial reflections are from the panelists. Uh, what struck you? What resonated with you? Who, who'd like to uh, Who'd like to go first? I think it's so interesting. Sorry, it's Tim here. It's really interesting hearing a story about sort of KKKs and Daryl Davis, um, but it's always hard to bring it home. And then, you know, what am I going to do in my own life or what are the things I need to change or how can this challenge me? And, and for some of us, maybe it isn't um, as radical as, as going out there and loving some uh, gay hating bishop, for instance, or something, but, um, but just about just stepping over a boundary and trying to uh, extend God's love to, to folks um that maybe haven't had that opportunity but yeah i'm just throwing out something giving everybody else a chance to think so they can say something oh, thank you Tim. that's profound Fifi, um, yeah one of the things that i was thinking of um just at the beginning of um that i experienced is quite often in in my work now as i am streaming now and i have quite a large community of people um usually around about a thousand people viewing. And sometimes, quite often now, especially more with COVID, as I guess people are frustrated and sad, is that there is a lot of like trolling, which is when somebody comes in and says um, some hateful comment towards me um, with the uh, view to getting some kind of rise and something like that. And there has been a lot of times where in which the viewers they then stand up for me and it makes all of this but I'm just like no we need to feel we need to love this person still because they are hurting I think a lot when it's when it's like that if somebody is is being uh, hateful towards somebody like that then I think that they themselves they are hurting and that helps me love them more because um, I understand that they have a pain. Thank you, Fifi. Nigel, were you about to come in and then Dermot? Uh, yes, I think I, I felt quite challenged thinking personally about the people I have difficulties with and the people who express views that I don't like. And my inclination is to step back and think, well, don't engage, you know, don't cast your pearls at that swine, don't don't get involved, save yourself the time and effort, you're not going to be able to change their views. 
And of course, if we all did that, then no one would change their views and no one would get anywhere. And I think there's a place, isn't there, for trying to engage with people and trying to reach out to people where they are, not, not just in a sense of reaching hold of them and dragging them where you want them to be, but actually realising, you know, they are real people with real views, engage with them, love them, and there can be, you know, there can be an opportunity to reflect and an opportunity to change there. Yeah. Dermot? Um, I was uh, struck by so many things in, in what Travis shared. Thank you, Travis. But I was thinking, if we have been wounded and deeply wounded by people that uh, we weren't expecting it from, uh, sometimes it's best, I think, to perhaps have some time out and some time away to kind of let the dust settle, to let some healing take place before re-engaging again, because to react out of a place of hurt can be about the redistribution of pain uh, rather than the rebalancing of relationships. I was uh, very struck. I love that phrase, the rebalancing of relationships, because to react out of pain is to cause others pain. And whether that's coming from a fearful place of believing that one is better than, or whether it's coming from the fearful place of believing oneself to be a victim, uh, neither identity is particularly healthy. One of the things that really struck me about Daryl Davis and the image that you shared, Travis, that really, really moved me was him with the photographs of the regalia of the KKK members and the members weren't there, but the regalia was left behind. And it reminded me so much of Jesus, uh, the miracle of Jesus calling Lazarus back to life. When in a loud voice, he cried, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And the verse, the word of Jesus always strikes me so powerfully. He said to those round about him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And there's that photograph of, 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 of uh, Daryl Davis with the grave clothes mm. of these people who have been set free to no longer inhabit such an inappropriate garb, such regalia. And, and it was just the identity of being called into a freer identity, a freer, uh, a more abundant, less fearful way of living for each one of us. And so seeing the empty regalia moved me deeply and took me to the, 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 the miracle of the healing, the resurrection of Lazarus. Mm. Thanks, Dermot. Liz? Yeah, I mean, that, I actually wrote down loads and loads of stuff um, following Travis's, during Travis's sermon. Um, I, I can see very much, totally agree that sort of, um, there's a need to forgive and that actually if you have been hurt and if you are wanting justice um, that actually you end up hurting yourself if you don't go down that route you you know at the end of the day it sort of only makes sense to um, to try and do it for your own self let alone for, for the benefit of others as well the one thing that kind of sticks with me though is I think something I've said before uh, in other sermons is that um, I think we have to be really careful um, not to think that this is really I know that we've said it's not easy but sometimes um, the, the need to forgive and the need to uh, love our enemies um, can be used as a bit of a kind of um, guilt trip by people so especially within church settings it's like 
it, it can be cheap forgiveness. It, it can be like, you just have to forgive. Um, and actually forgiveness can be really hard. And for some people, it will be the whole of their life trying to forgive. Um, the other thing that kind of stuck for me was that um, I think for me, it's easy to forgive people I kind of don't know, who don't know me because I can kind of make up the story and I can kind of, say that yeah you know I can kind of think that this person is obviously hurt because of the way they're reacting to me when it's somebody I do know or somebody who knows me well who has hurt me and that that, that relationship's really been broken actually I think that for me can be even harder sometimes because you think that person should know better and that person knows me yet they seem to be treating me like they don't love me and um so I think yeah so I think I think we just need to be careful. Um, I do agree totally with Derma, and of course, um, in the reading of Paul, there seems to be the need for um, space. Uh, space needs to be be given to people in order to forgive. Um, but I think also, um, Travis said that brilliant thing that justice demands radical love, and I think it also demands us to have radical love for ourselves. So we need to be compassionate for ourselves, and if we can't forgive, there's absolutely no point us beating ourselves up about it. We need to be on that journey and we need to be able to listen and give space and try and get to know the people and try and understand. But we also need to look after ourselves as well. Um, and some people are very, very hurt. And, you know, I just think that, that yeah, we should be careful not to force forgiveness when perhaps more time is needed. Thank you, Liz. I'm just going to read one or two of the comments that have come through on the chat and then we'll come back to the panellists for any sort of final reflections. Uh, really interesting one from Amy that's just come through. Uh, she says, I started thinking about whose job it is to reach out to those who cause injustice. Is it the job of those who are marginalised by unjust or hateful views, for example, racism? Or is it the job of those with privilege in a particular situation? such as race, gender, sexuality, etc., to use that privilege to challenge and engage. For example, as a white person, I feel I should use my privilege to engage with more people expressing racist views. Yeah, thank you for that challenge, Amy. Um, Andrea, uh, such a powerful message. Amen, thank you. Uh, I cannot help thinking of victims of abuse and how comforting a perpetrator is just the most unhealthy thing I can think of. Recognising that even an abuser can find redemption, but the victim shouldn't feel pressured into being the responsible person for that, which I think has a lot of resonances with what Liz was articulating. Um, there's a bit of a backwards and forwards between Jeff and Susan on, uh, I think, the nature of evil and uh, whether the devil can find redemption. I'm not going to read that out in its entirety, but if you want to follow that through, it'll be there in the chat. Uh, you can catch up with that later. But um, a comment from Saeed. I have a problem with the premise that I am righteous and I need to show love to others. This is deeply troubling to me. Perhaps my own views need to be challenged. Um, very good sort of uh, exercise there in self-reflection. Uh, Nigel uh, Williams, I've deleted some people I'm seeing on social media because of race speech and because I was angry with them and I couldn't talk to them. Maybe need a rethink on this. Thank you, Travis. Um, then uh, just going back slightly further, there was one that came in fairly quickly. I'm just going back to find it. Oh yes, this is Nigel again. Um, thinking about the scales of justice and how they are finely balanced. And uh, Matthew, it is difficult to love those who disagree with us, but they are the very people we are called to redeem. 
Um, gosh, we're having some more comments coming in as we speak. This is, uh, this is, this is processing of the sermon happening in real time. It's one of the glories of this process. Uh, Susan, I agree, Liz. I sometimes find it exhausting to spend time with people whose opinions I want to change. But if I'm truly finding it that exhausting, then am I really wanting to spend time with them? Am I honestly trying to be with them because I want to or just because I feel I should? And it's not going to be effective if I'm doing it because I feel I should, because they can also tell that's why I'm spending time with them. So sometimes I just need to take a break so that I can remember I'm not just a machine for trying to change opinions. And also they probably have things to teach me also. That's uh, profound humility at the end there, Susan. A comment from Numa. Uh, oh, Numa, yes. Is it possible, please, to isolate Travis's talk, including the clip, for me to forward to others? Numa, it absolutely will be. We do a podcast every week of the Bloomsbury Sermon. So we put the whole service online, and you can access that uh, as a YouTube clip. But also, we always take the sermon as an audio file with just the Bible reading and, and then some of the comments afterwards. And that gets put out on our sermon podcast, which is, again, accessible through the website. So I'm really glad you asked that, Numa. Okay, and I'm going to leave uh, Jeff's uh, comments about the God and Devil model for people to follow through if they want to. Um, because I see the world through uh, U2 lyrics most of the time, um, there's just one very short lyric from the U2 song Grace that I wanted to share. Uh, just at the end, it is, Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace finds goodness in everything. Any final reflections from the panel before we move on with some more worship and some prayers? Uh, may I speak? Is that all right? Of course you may, Travis. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for, for everyone once again for allowing me to be here. And, 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 and I, 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 have, I acknowledge and agree completely, uh, specifically with all of those that are merely wondering about the space and the healing necessary for us to uh, go through before we can start doing that redemptive work of trying to engage in other people, right? Like, uh, and just like, like Liz was saying, I, you know, uh, there, this is a letter from Paul from a long ways away because he spends a whole chapter explaining how it's a bad idea to show up right now. And, uh, and, and I, I do not by any means want to try to suggest that we need to become martyrs by default because of some sort of holy duty without any kind of nuance. I, I agree wholeheartedly and completely, you know, for those that have been uh, abused uh, in, any, in any fashion, or even those who've just been recently wounded, right? Like we need to take care of ourselves too, don't we? There's, there's that notion, you know, when you're on the plane, that if the, if the plane's going down, you gotta get your oxygen, oxygen mask and put it on yourself first before you help others. And, uh, and I think when we talk about loving neighbors as ourselves, there is obviously uh, the notion there that you first love yourself and don't just hate yourself to return to a cycle of abuse over and over and over again. The entire point is to stop the cycle. And if we are not in an environment that can put the brakes on those cycles, then I would once again just argue this is just a, a fancier version of a redistribution of a pain and psychological abuse. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for bringing such a clear and relevant application of the gospel of Christ to us this morning. Let us pray. Loving, holy, Mother and Father God, thank you for gathering us here today, connected through hearts and minds 
as we try to understand your love deeper so that we may treat the world with a love that mirrors yours. We think of those who have lost connections over this time of pandemic through isolation and the mental distress that it brings. And for those who have lost loved ones, let us remember those less fortunate and those at risk and quell this disease with love as we continue to look after the vulnerable in our communities. We lift up Yemen to you, Lord, struck with famine and COVID. We pray that we can make aid rain down on that country, just as you made manna rain from heaven. And we lift up the US to you, and we pray for a shift in priorities from internet clout to kindness for all who live there. We pray for a system rebuilt on love and acceptance as Jesus turned the tables in the market in the temple, let us treat systemic racism the same. We think of all the copycat acts of police brutality we have seen in the recent weeks, let the wave of momentum we had with the Black Lives Matter movement not crash into nothing, but engulf white supremacy and privilege. Lord, we ask for a lot, but we know all things are possible through you, the way, the truth, and the light. You are love, and we love you. Amen.